So as we remember in looking at the book of Galatians and the Galatian believers and what was taking place, and I always enjoy Paul's personality because as you look at the interrogatives that are here in the text, they are questions. And they're not questions. Some of you have gone back to school. Some of you are taking classes. And for the most part, teachers and professors are going to ask you questions to probe, to make you think. That's what a teacher does and the benefit of that, to be able to come up with your own solutions and to resolve the problems. Well, sometimes there are other individuals, and that would be, I guess, myself as well, to get you to question. And when they give you a uh, question, they want you to know, hey, do you know the answer? But they can also try to deceive you and trick you. Um, if you're a Calvin and Hobbes fan, sometimes Calvin would ask a question and I know that's not in the funnies anymore, but Calvin would ask a question of his dad, like, why is the sky blue? And then his father would say, well, what happened is back at that time, the, the world was in black and white. And so Calvin would say, oh, okay. But uh, understanding is that here, as Paul is writing, and to the Galatians, these interrogatives, these questions are, are really using it in a different manner. And we're going to look at that in just a few minutes. Because the theme that I want to give to you this morning is don't second-guess yourselves. And doubt and fear, oftentimes when you know what the answer is, there's certain personalities, when you know something is right, you do it. But there's also those individuals, maybe they're more intelligent than you, maybe they are, are in a specialty degree, and so when they say something, and uh, what occurs is they will get you to undermine your thought. They will undermine your thinking. For example, I was, when I was working in the operating room, I was asking... There was an individual who was, he did biathlon, or not biathlons, he did, they weren't the triathlons, it was just the swimming and biking. Well, it wasn't, um, he would do the biking and the running. And some of the surgeons, they would do biking, swimming, and running. But what happened is he told me about buoyancy, and which I know if you, if you swim or understand the principle of buoyancy, some people float better than others. And ever since I was young, what happens is I sink, my legs go down. And so I was talking with it, and and this one anesthesiologist, oh, there's no such thing as, as buoyancy, or, you know, that's not true. And uh, so I was like, oh, wait a second, I'm pretty sure it is. I'd read this somewhere, so I asked him. He goes, oh, yeah, certain principles, your body mass index, your bone structure, just some people float better than others. And, uh, but what occurs is because of their position, prestige, people, they can get you to second-guess yourselves. And here, Paul is saying, don't second-guess yourself. The debate is the superiority of faith for your salvation, justification. Salvation by faith as justification comes through faith in Jesus Christ, his work, not in the works. And uh, it isn't uh, what is promoted, and especially at the Galatian believers, what was taking place as we read this, uses the vocabulary, who has bewitched you. We don't usually use the vocabulary bewitched. In the Holman Christian, it says, who has hypnotized you? And I think that's a good word because you cannot be hypnotized against your will if you didn't know that. It's not like, oh, someone comes in, oh, I'm going to hypnotize you, boom, you're hypnotized. It's a submissiveness. You have to allow someone to hypnotize you. And so there are those who have that convincing spirit and so be able to do that. And it's suggestive and occurs. What occurs is the attraction or pull of Suppose if you have gone to the Arizona State Fair, and maybe with your children, or you're there in the carnival games, and they're like, oh, come on, play this game. Oh, you look like the type you could make it in there. Or, or look at that basket game. If you've ever played that, look, take this wiffle ball, hit it against the board, you just tap it in there, and it'll drop in, and you'll win this huge prize. 
well, it looks so simple. And then after a few, it's like, that's impossible. You know, you got to get it perfect. And the angles. But they try to convince you that you could do that. Or maybe a show on TV. You're walking through the room, and all of a sudden there's a show that reminds you of your youth or or reminds you, oh, hey, you know, I like that movie or, or show. And it's, all of a sudden it's an attraction. It pulls you. Or you have what occurs as well is that uh, there's an advertisement that gets you. Salespeople, uh, they're good at this and trying to get something attracted to you. Sometimes they will put something in your hand if you're walking through somewhere. Here, hold on to this. You hold on to it, and guess what? Now you're stuck with it, and it's like you want to give it back, but they're going to talk to you, and you're, you're sunk. Or we just moved into our house, and we've been getting this mail. It says, we missed you. And then all of a sudden here, well, here's a package we're going to give you. And uh, we want to give you this uh, free alarm system, but it's only $40 a month if you do that. Or, you know, th there's some sales pitch to it. We want to test your water for free. Well, too bad I already got a water softener. But, you know, they want to get you in and hook you and suggest you. And they want to, oh, look at all of these designs. And you see it in marketing. And they want to convince you. And this is what was taking place. But Paul uses the interrogatives and questions for the basis of his argument and debate. And as you go on, so advance that slide, we see here he uses experience, scripture, and logical reasoning. And he's trying to convince them, saying, wait a second, don't, let, don't be deceived what is taking place. As we see here, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified? Now, granted, many of these Galatians were not there when Christ was crucified. They would have received it secondhand. But understanding they were close enough to the event that they would know that it was historical and that it occurred. And guess what? He was resurrected. And so he explains to them. And so he begins off in verse 2 and he says, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with the faith? So as we look at Galatians, and these were Gentile believers, not necessarily Jewish background. So Gentiles, which you're the Jewish background. And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? At the point of a person coming to Christ, they are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. In the first century, what occurred was there, was some, there were some miracles that occurred to show evidence to the Jewish believers that, hey, they had to receive the Spirit too. But all of a sudden, what occurs is he says, hey, how did you, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Was it by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Paul here, he says, okay, so tell me, was it because of something that you had done, that you have done by your acts or works that you received the Holy Spirit? Or was it by your faith, believing in Christ? And during the first century, the Greeks emphasized visual imagery and seeing. And the Hebrew culture promoted the hearing and the written and preached word. And Jewish scholars argued, even the Torah, that it should not be interpreted as law, but that it means instruction or teaching. And the Bible was the source of religious knowledge and conduct. And it's important. The reason I bring this up is because sometimes as Christians, we dismiss the law so easily. Oh, we know it's not law. We know it's not law. But the importance and the influence of the Old Testament law, the Torah, the many different Mosaic laws were, had greatly impacted every part of a Jewish believer's life, a Hebrew. Um, and how they should read, the recitations, um, how they lived. It was kind of like a guidebook. And it's important because the scribes and Pharisees understood the importance of the written and oral law 
And they saw as a gift to the nation of Israel. Because they had the law, it was a gift to them. They didn't see it as a burden. And they received it and lived it. And it provided an answer to every problem. So imagine if you wanted to know how to do things. We've been in our house and I've been learning how to do many different things. From put a mailbox together to change in to change a, a cord outlet for a washer, a lot of things learning. I took apart our uh, sliding glass door, and uh, for a while there, we didn't have internet, because usually I would just look it up, see how to figure it out, and so I was like, okay, great, I gotta take it apart. And I was like, hopefully I can put this thing back together again, and, uh, but was able to do it, now it slides much better. But what occurred there is the Bible was their guidebook, the Old Testament, the law was the Old Testament guidebook to life, so when they went to the, um, temple when they went to the synagogue in the New Testament and to be able to read that and so the law and then the mosaic the laws that the that they had given also they lived by those principles so it wasn't like a burden to them it was oh they enjoyed it they received it it was instruction maybe you think about an instruction packet if you've ever been to Ikea and had to put together oh I can do this on my own whoa I didn't know that uh, you know a computer desk could come in 150 different pieces and then you realize it but what occurs is then you really want the instruction book because that'll help you. And it might come in 40 different languages, so you're really thankful that, hey, it comes in English. But you have that. But here, the law to the Jewish believer, it was beneficial to them. They loved it. They were grateful for it. And so Christians don't always understand the importance of the law as a guide for the Jewish nation. And it's similar to young people because young people, they don't really appreciate rules and regulations and guys they just think it's restrictive prohibitive but for a parent it also helps them to understand the boundaries in life obedience it teaches them other life lessons and how to behave themselves and even protects them there's a reason hey don't touch that stove because it's hot hey you know what i wonder if it's really hot you know you were probably that child touch it oh it was hot ouch look i burned myself or wet paint is it really wet? How long has it been wet? Is that sign really, you know? And so you're there. Or the concrete, you know, you want to touch it. But those rules and regulations are beneficial to us. And here Paul says, okay, I understand that the law is important, but did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law? And this was new to them because guess what? It wasn't. It was by hearing of faith. And the next question in verse 3, it, um, it says, are you so foolish? Strong language. And he's, he's being... Uh, using this uh, after beginning with the spirit are you now going to be made complete by the flesh so he says okay you have the holy spirit and the process of regeneration the holy spirit seals and indwells in a new believer but also gives the promise of eternal life and it starts with the holy spirit so he says okay guess what you have the holy spirit and are you so foolish to believe this untruth Start with the work of the Holy Spirit, regeneration, that gives eternal life. But now do you say that it's completed by human act? And there are those who believe that mankind can finish or complete what God has started in their lives. And that's not what the Bible says. And Paul uses that hyperbole, that exaggeration to get his point across. And if you're from East, uh, especially New York, uh, one of the characteristics that is, uh, um, one of the characteristics that uh, individuals have is sarcasm. And if you're a sarcastic individual, I can relate to you because I grew up in upstate New York and sarcasm used to be very 
heavy in my personality, but I had to kind of release a little bit because it can be very offensive. But to understand sarcasm, oh, yeah, really? Um, is that going to work? Uh-huh. I apologize to my kids because I use that a lot on them, but I just have to be careful. But here, Paul is using that sarcasm. Oh, okay, really? Can you really start? Can you take uh, the, uh, your spirituality, being a Christian? You started with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so can you complete it through your own works by living out these other laws, and that's what's going to get you to heaven? They're beneficial in following after God's law, but that's not what's going to get you to heaven. And that's what is being taught in other areas. And so Paul is telling them, it's not through salvation, faith in Christ, and this. It's only through salvation and faith in Jesus Christ. And so he is saying, remember back, who has hypnotized you? Who has deceived you? The world deceives and tricks. If you like magic or illusions, it can be very deceiving. And what happens is a hypnotist or illusionist will get you to believe what you consciously know to be untrue. And I've seen on Netflix different ones, but how many of you have heard of M.C. Escher? Some of you have. M.C. Escher was an artist that was influential when I was going in art class growing up. M.C. Escher, I was fascinated by M.C. Escher. And I just want to give you a little bit of background because to understand the power of illusions, and even how during the Renaissance period and during the time of the artists, how it was influential even in, in how we understand the world. But there's a little video clip, about three and a half minutes. Just want to play this just to get you to understand. So go ahead and turn down the main volume. Yep. The reason I want to give that to you is that these aren't just a deception that's a sleight of hand. Some of those are tricks. And if you were to look at uh, some of M.C. Escher's work, as you see the staircase, the key, it looks like it still goes up. Because there are convincing arguments, like, wait a second, how did he do that? And it takes some time to evaluate and look at the waterfall that looks like it's, it doesn't go uphill. It's just the waterfall that keeps running. So these perpetual infinity. So I want you to understand that the arguments, the illusion, the hypnotism, some of them were truly deceived. It's not wrong to be deceived and tricked. Sometimes you are going to, because your mind, how it works, how you interpret the data and information, you are going to be deceived sometimes. But the question is, what do you do when you are deceived? We must go back to absolute truth, because there is absolute truth, and understand, hey, wait a second, I don't always understand. It seems that, but what is the truth? And so it was important for Paul, as he explains to them, the Galatian believers, hey, wait a second, you've been deceived and tricked, but this is the truth. Who, some of them, there are those people in your life who, when you try to get them to believe, they will believe anything. You could convince them that, for example, oh, gullible isn't in the dictionary. You know, and they'll look it up. But uh, what occurs, I, I have a friend who, um, one time, he, was, he wasn't a experienced driver. And uh, so I told him that, oh, after 12 o'clock in country roads, the white around the stop sign, that means it's optional. So you don't have to stop. So he just blew through his top sign. I said, no, it, it, you have to stop. And he was like, oops. But thankfully, there were no police. But there are those who you can, can believe, who will believe anything. Then there are those who are skeptics. They don't believe anything until you tell them, you show them, and they still won't believe. But to understand the truth of the word of God and that it is an absolute truth. And even though you might be deceived by something that is contrary to that, we can believe the word of God, but the truth, especially 
is that salvation is by faith alone. And so as we go back to looking at the passage, verse 4, and it says, Did you suffer so much in vain or for nothing? And verse 4 in chapter 3 says, If it was for nothing. And here, Paul is, uh, the original text is a little bit vague, but it's, it could be suffered for the faith or referred to experience, experiences faced as a believer in Christ. So they may have gone through persecutions because of their faith, or it just may be because of experiences faced as a believer. Oh, and uh, the following would be fit the context of a life begun in the Holy Spirit. There are some who might say, oh, well, I was a believer, and because as a Christian I faced ridicule, loss of job, uh, my friends, and so they feel that they suffered. Or maybe experiences that were prohibitive. Now that I'm a Christian, I had to give up this, or I couldn't do that. And it's interesting because historically, when a person came to Christ, unbelievers understood that, hey, you know what, I need to change my life, or their life would be transformed. And so they always thought that they would have to give things up, and so they don't want to. But it's the Holy Spirit that gives you that motivation, that things that you don't want to do anymore. But now what, what the danger is that there are churches and religious groups that promote, hey, you can do all that stuff and still be a Christian. There's no difference. But to understand that there is going to be a fruit that is demonstrated because your motivation is different now. The desires of your life. And it's not necessarily prohibitive. If anything, it is beneficial to you. You understand that now we have so many different types of delicacies and food and the older we get, the more we understand that there is benefit to eating right, to not eating the same things that we did when we were younger. Maybe those Twinkies and Takis that we could eat uh, so abundantly when we were younger. We're not going to eat those now because of all the dangers and the dyes and you know what it would do to our cholesterol and uh, let there be light. And to our health. And so we understand that. But here... The other would be the uh, experiences or sufferings for Christ in trials, temptations, hardships. And so the Galatians maybe had to go through some of these challenges and difficulties, and they're saying, oh, wait a second. And Paul's saying, oh, did you suffer so much in vain if it really was in vain? Well, understand he's, being, he's using that hyperbole and saying, you know what, it wasn't in vain. Understanding that in Christ, although you go through these challenges, trials, circumstances, God knows what you're going through. And there is purpose, there is identity in that because in those challenges, those trials, you have the opportunity to glorify God. And while at the time they're not easy, while at the time it is not fun, and I wouldn't want to go through them, and sometimes we go through these challenges, it's like, let's go quickly, come on God. But there is a lesson in that, and God wants us to understand them. And sometimes we don't realize that the lesson may not be even for our benefit, but because God knows that you can handle it, go through it. It might be for the benefit, the spiritual benefit of someone else who you are going to encounter. And you might think, that's not fair. Why do I have to go through this spiritual challenge or trial? Let someone else go through it. But God knows that you can handle that. And in that brings maturity. In that also brings spiritual blessing. Because through that, you are going to receive the benefit of knowing the intimacy that God is there. He's present with you. And you can call upon him. And he reveals himself, and you can communicate to him. And he communicates through you, maybe through the kindness of others, 
to the benefit. And you can see that God truly cares about me and knows what I'm going through. And then in verse 5, we see that it states, So then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Again, we see the contrast. Is it through your works or through the Holy Spirit that these miracles are taking place? Nowadays, it would be an uh, individual or an evangelist or one of those who say, Hey, look at this. There's miracles that are being done through me. Or um, I have prophecy and be able to communicate those well there may be some who are gifted and those times it is not all the time a true prophet was one who can communicate true prophecy all the time and Paul tells and communicates that don't always believe these individuals what occurs is it's not through the works that you have done or the works of an, another individual it is through the hearing of faith the cause of miracles and works among you, it is not accomplished through human effort or faith placed upon our, it, or a faith placed upon our Heavenly Father through prayer and supplication in what occurs. So advance that next that slide, and you have verse 5 that says, and he says, what is the cause of miracles and great works among you? We could ask it that way. What occurs, and what is the cause? It is because of the work of of the Holy Spirit through your life by the benefit of hearing of the faith. And that may sound repetitive, but for them, he's emphasizing, telling them, hey, it is the Holy Spirit, not you. While there's benefit and each of us have talent and abilities, the danger is we often rely upon our talent and abilities before God. And if there were a way to get to heaven uh, on our own, we would do that. And you see it represented in different religions, different uh, cultures. There are some, in uh, when we lived in Peru, there were these steps, and you know, you could go up and on your knees, penitence, and try to get to God. And there was um, an area called Huaraz where there was a mountain slide. And there was a statue of Jesus there, and they had gone up there to be rescued. And they put more emphasis in the statue than in the living Christ. And while it's representative, but it is the object of our faith, a living Jesus Christ, who by faith we place our trust in. We don't see him, but we know that he exists. And it is important because the Holy Spirit was the one who completes the work and does the work in us and through us. And as we look at this passage and text... It goes on and says, verse 6 through 9, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness, then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now the scriptures saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and told the good news ahead of time to Abraham, saying, Through you all the nations would be blessed. Through the faith of Abraham, he received land, seed, and blessing, and that all of the nations would be blessed through Abraham, that faith. Now, Abraham didn't have a complete understanding of the theological ramifications of the nations that would come to Christ. He just knew that in obedience, he placed his faith in an object that was worthy of his trust. And the process of justification has not changed. That is the lesson, as we see here. The next slide states, the act of proper faith can place a person in correct standing before God and lead to righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God is the author of righteousness, not in our own. We can 
sometimes be in a right standing before a wife, a husband, a parent, a teacher, a boss. We can be in a right standing. But before God, it is only God who can place us in that right standing through his son, Jesus Christ. And God is the author of righteousness. Although the revelation that Abraham received was not as complete as we have today, the object of his faith was the same. And in the Old Testament, the believers, while they didn't understand completely the Messiah, who the Messiah was, and what the Messiah would do, it was the same process of faith in the person, the work of the Messiah who would be revealed, who would come. They had that promise of the Messiah and the nation of Israel and the world that there would be great blessing. And people came to Christ in the same way that we do today. But we have a little bit more accountability because we can look back and see the Old Testament. We can read the history of the nation of Israel. We can look today and study the books of Paul and read the New Testament. But back then, they didn't have that complete revelation, the Word of God, but they had God revealed himself to Abraham and said, hey, he called him out and said, believe in the promise. And he did. And God was the one who credited it to his account, even if the knowledge was not the same that we have today. And what's important as we look at the Galatian believers, they were being told that circumcision, that keeping the law was required to complete their salvation. And churches today even promote a blend of faith plus works. It becomes, you know what, uh, baptism will secure your position, or speaking in tongues, or if you do this, then you'll be truly saved. But it is through what the Word of God says that believing in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And the biblical teaching is that we must promote is that be not deceived by the high-profile personalities or the large churches that market their ministries like professional businesses. And it's not wrong to have a large church. They do great works globally. And those individuals, they have a greater visibility. But don't be deceived by the glitz and glamour. Don't be deceived um, because you will be the spectator that is awed by the illusionist, the hypnotist. And it is fascinating because what happened is even in 1 Corinthians, the, the Greeks seek after knowledge. The Jews sought after sign. And when we see something fascinating that we like to be, um, we like to see those illusions and the sleight of hand. And it's like, oh, wow, show me again. And they don't give away their tricks. If you've ever seen some of those great magicians on TV, and, uh, you know, I remember when uh, it walked through David Copperfield, walk it through the the Great Wall of China. I was like, oh, how did he do that? You know, that's pretty fascinating illusion. Or make this jumbo jet disappear. You know, those are amazing. But we have to also not be overwhelmed by the event because obviously he didn't make it disappear. And even though those people were standing there and they're going there, where did it go? How did he do that? Oh, the elephant is gone. Understand he doesn't have the power to make an elephant disappear or the, the plane disappear. They were deceived. And so coming back to the reality of truth, and most of us want to, you know, are fascinated by that, but we also understand the realization that, that it wasn't true. And so I want to emphasize to you even today is that it is salvation by faith alone. As the word of God promises, we can read, I and my father in one, and as Christ, 
he promotes. No one can come to the Father but by me. And we see the principles. We can take a text and take it out of context, but understand the, the, uh, the principles that go through in the word of God. And the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. Well, granted, we don't follow after the easy believism that says, okay, if I say a prayer, I can go to heaven. It's important to understand that there will be evidence of fruit. And you will be accountable to Christ for your salvation because the object of our faith. Sometimes our faith may waver, but that does not affect where our faith lies. And that is the important part. If you are trusting in the object, the person and work of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you have a little faith or a lot of faith. If it is correctly based, then it, it will be right. For example, if uh, you were to, um, in an earthquake, and all the pieces are falling around you, and you know that there is a secure rock, and you stand on that, it doesn't matter if it's a big rock or a little rock. You'll just be standing on that rock because you know that that is a secure ground. And when we look at the Word of God, it is important that you do not have to second-guess yourselves. But remember that faith alone is sufficient because the object of your faith is credible and worthy of your complete trust. Only God can grant the believer justification to be declared righteous before him. And as we come to this morning and look at the fact of the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper was given to 